Hello, you are listening to Do You Even Science? My name is Simon Landry, and today I have a very special episode um, on this episode with a real-life science journalist. I've got Miriam Guskin with me, and we're just going to be chatting about what it's like to be a science journalist and um, where we, where you see the future of, of science journalism and kind of who you are. Sounds good. So, hi, Hello. Mary. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, tell me about yourself just quickly. Who, who are you? I, we only met once. It's true. So, yeah. It's true. Well, well, I guess, yeah, without the whole life story, um, I guess I would still call myself a scientist. Right. <laughs> I'm scientist by training. You earned it. Um, doctor, since doctor. we're both doctor, Dr. Landry, <laughs> Dr. Guskin. Um, yeah, I, I started out in science, did uh, zoology, got my PhD in that. Super interesting. Um, what was your, it was like sheep or something. Or yes. Do I remember that? Yeah, that's Probably. correct. Yeah. So if you can tell by the accent, it's not Australian. <laughs> I get that <laughs> I a lot. cannot tell. It's, uh, it's New Zealand. So we have a lot of sheep. So why not do a PhD on sheep? Um, but it was more kind of about pain behavior in the social environment, um, how being in a group affects how you feel pain and how you show pain. And sheep were the model for that. D does that generalize to, did what you find with sheep generalize to humans? That was, that was the hope. It almost went the other way actually, okay. which is funny. I did a psychology undergrad. Okay. So I did a lot of reading about, you know, human studies, but they also do a lot of uh, rodent work. Right. And um, I was looking for a model that was a social animal um, where cues and behavior were super important. So okay. sheep being a prey animal, that worked out really well. And also logistically, it tied in well with like funding and right, things right, like that. Right. Of is, course. is there a lot of sh sheep research funding in New Zealand? Ooh, I don't have a good <laughs> handle on that. But um, yeah, probably. I think yeah. for more... Uh, applicable, practical kind of things. Right. So meat research, wool research, breed um, genetic analysis, mm. that kind of thing. But those always give you an avenue into the fun stuff that you want to do. Right, right. So I was super interested in this question of uh, can animals experience empathy, which is a huge yeah. <laughs> question to take on uh -huh. in three years. Uh, but, yeah, I sort of started to chip away at the surface of that question and in right. the process did a whole bunch of fun fun stuff so for someone who's listening to this and has never done animal research mm. or kind of that world of research i guess why are we so mean to these animals why are we doing research on animals what's the and what what is an animal model yeah that's a good question and that's something I got a lot because I was researching pain in sheep. Yeah. Um, we, we looked at tail docking in sheep, which is okay. something that happens a lot in New Zealand. So without going too much into it, the climate, very warm and humid, mm -hmm. uh, sheep can get fly strike. So they get their tails cut off. A fly okay. strike is like when um, flies lay their eggs under the skin That's they hatch so it's not it's not a nice <laughs> yeah. visual you just need to look at one picture of a of a lamb with fly strike and be yeah. like yeah it's probably a good idea to maybe like chop their tails in a non like bad yeah. way is, is that a thing that happens like naturally 
Or is it just because, I don't know, like, wild, do wild sheep exist? Like, would wild sheep have uh, mm. this problem? I think so, probably. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the question about why, why are we so mean to animals mm. and... Um, we're I think not, I was. We're not mean to animals. Just side note. We're not, yeah, not not we not as actually. in as in Simon and Miriam. <laughs> not mean to animals. No, um, but in general, uh, yeah, I was working in the agriculture department, right. so so that was something that I kind of came face to face yeah. with, and what it came down to in the end is this balancing act of production and food supply Mm -hmm. and doing that in the most ethical and humane way and different places, different countries have different approaches to what they think is the best way to do that. Um, So in New Zealand, tail docking is, is acceptable under a given set of, of rules, um, so to speak. So, yeah, why why do we yeah, that doesn't answer the question at all. Why do we do why do we do mean things to animals? Um, in, in science. In science. Yeah, so like why what's the value of um animal models? Like couldn't we just I don't know, mm. use a computer or something? Yeah. I think there's definitely a step towards using computer models mm-hmm. more often. Um there's this principle in welfare called like the three R's okay. and one of them or the first one is to replace. So right. if you can replace an animal with like in a test tube petri dish model yeah. or a computer model, do that. But I think there are certain cases where that isn't advanced enough yet mm-hmm. or doesn't give you the right kind of um data to be able to form the answers that you want and so if that's the case then animal models provide a good well model for the human biology and or you know a specific subset of our biology um yeah and then we get into this whole thing of how many animals to use how can we you know reduce the harm that happens to them so i i used to work with uh well used to work i did um rat research for ah. a few months my that was how i got uh started okay in my grad studies and the guidelines i don't know how it is when you did your research but the guidelines are super strict yes like you really first it's super expensive so you need to take care of your animals mm. and there are so many people looking at you that like Yes, the we're not going to hide it. It's like it's not something I would like to have happen to me. Mm-hmm. But um, if you compare it to like meat production that everybody is like okay with, mm. I feel like it's definitely the animals are taken better care in research than in food production. I would guess. Yeah, that's hard to say because yeah. yeah, you're doing different Making, things. Yeah, but yeah, that's an interesting point though that you touch on. Is I've talked to people kind of outside academia, mm-hmm. and again, this is kind of a generalization, but yeah. there's this idea that as scientists, you can just go and grab a whole bunch of rats and you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want to them. You yeah. can use as many animals as you want. You can like jab them with needles, whatever. Yeah. That's absolutely not the case. You probably experienced yeah. having to do a um, 
like an ethics application that then gets reviewed by a whole committee you know and they nitpick every single detail they're like well what if this happens Mm -hmm. what if an animal gets sick during your Mm -hmm. trial do you have a veterinarian on hand do you really need to use a hundred mice when this mathematical model says you only need 50 to get the results you need so I think that's important to note as well. You can't just yeah. do whatever you want. And not that we would want to anyway. Yeah. No, yeah. it's like why... I don't know, I think it's this sort of thing, unless you've done it and you see how the process... Like, when you think scientists using animals, you, th- you, you feel bad for the animals, and sure, like, you feel bad for the animals, but in the grand scheme of things... It's very, it's not the the 50s anymore. Mm -hmm. It's very controlled and it's super expensive. So people don't want to use those models anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of people looking into like the computer, Mm -hmm. how to make computer simulations better, how to make or how to get, I don't know, like a 3D scan of a dog's rib cage for veterinary teaching. You know, right. that's another big part of it, teaching as well as research that yeah. uses animals. Yeah. Lots, but we're not experts. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, personal experience, yeah. but that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so you did your research on empathy uh, in sheep. Yes. And what did you find? Yeah, so that was fun. Um, the basic uh, protocol of I pretty much actually just did like one or two experiments, which is, and I got a lot of data out of that. So I had pairs of lambs. Mm -hmm. Um, One would be tail docked. So they would be the actor experiencing pain. One would be the observer watching. They would be undergoing the process of tail docking or they would have their tail. They would have their tail docked. So what happens um, with tail docking is the pain or sorry, the method that we used was like a ring. So the pain kind of sets in at about 15, ooh, it's been a while, 15 (laughs) minutes Uh after it's um, applied, which from a scientific point of view is valuable because it gives you a chance to capture data. The other method of um, just uh, using uh, cauterization is very fast. And actually that's the method that farmers would use because it's fast and less painful okay but um yeah so we get this little window of time mm-hmm. after the ring is applied where we can record behavior so then these pairs they differed in how they related to one another okay so they could either be twin lambs like actual actual twins, twins yep okay. two lambs born from the the same you cool. um they could be friends as i called them okay. so they were from different mothers but they'd been raised in the same paddock uh-huh. for two weeks before we recorded data or they could be strangers so lambs from different mums but raised in different paddocks as okay. well so when they got into that test situation that was the first time they'd seen each other cool um yeah, and so that was important for figuring out does the pain experience differ oh. for the person, that person, oh my gosh, look at me, <laughs> anthropomorphizing my lambs, um, for the animal experiencing pain, and does the observer react differently? Right. So what we found with the twin lambs was the one not in pain, the observer, would mm-hmm. mirror some of the behavior of the pained lamb, even though it was having nothing done to it. Okay. So lambs display, there's like a whole 
ethogram a list of different behaviors yeah so ethogram is a list of different behaviors that animals show in a particular situation and those have been validated with physiological measures Mm -hmm. um and so lambs do a bunch of things they roll around they get up they sit down again they might kick they do this kind of stretched out really tense posture i think the best way to describe it is like a kid when they scrape their knee okay. like really badly and they're lying there and they're like contorted out and they're like, uh-huh. ah, uh-huh. lambs kind of do that as well. Okay. So the observer lambs were doing some of this, even though nothing was happening to them. Huh. And they were the only ones, not the friends, not the strangers. And so this kind of gave a sense of contagion. So right. the feeling was spreading between the lambs, but there's only so much we can or so far we can kind yeah. of go with that interpretation based on the data that we had. But it was interesting to kind of get a hint that something was going on and then you kind of hope that someone else is going to read the paper and yeah. pick up the research. <laughs> Has anybody picked up? Do you, do you follow your, your citations? I do sometimes. Yeah. Um, the one, actually, what was the one? The one that's had the most citations is another one I did about facial expression. And okay. I don't want to get too much into like my research because yeah. we want to talk about journalism and all that. But um, uh, the lamb that was in pain, I also recorded their faces right. up close and looked at how they changed from before they had uh, the ring applied to after. Okay. And they do something really similar to humans. They'll sort of squint their eyes and tense their mouth. And because they have mobile ears, they'll hold their, oh, their ears back. Yeah. Um, and so that one's been cited a lot that seems to be a hot topic huh. at the moment are yeah. you vegetarian you know what i am now actually oh, yeah? <laughs> and um it's uh yeah people always ask me that as well when i was doing my phd and i wasn't my how do i uh theory or uh, mindset i guess is it's uh based on the welfare laws of the country so i was pretty happy with how new zealand did things okay they have a good like pasture grazing system that's very the the welfare code gets reviewed very frequently there are a lot of amazing scientists veterinarians industry people sitting on the board right that um put those laws together um and so yeah i i have nothing against eating meat if Mm -hmm. the animal's life has been good mm-hmm. um sadly and <laughs> this i don't want to uh hate on uh, hate on canada but it's just a little bit further behind um snooty new zealand doctor i know coming in on. here <laughs> telling canada what to do no not at all yeah. um i just think it's not the worst okay. but it's not the best all right yeah so you're Okay, cool. Um, I wish that we could talk more about the topic because I think it's super interesting, but we're not going to. Okay. We're going to talk about (laughs) journalism. Um, And so you finished your PhD Mm. and you did a postdoc, as I recall, did you? Yes. Yes. Um, There was a little gap in between, though, which is interesting. So during the PhD, I was already really interested in communication, okay. science communication. I liked going to conferences. I liked giving presentations. I liked talking with other scientists. Mm-hmm. And I always felt, 
it sounds really nerdy, really cool to be hearing about, you know, the latest things that people are doing and what That's people are trying. It's, it's so fun, right? I love hearing about other people's stuff uh-huh. that I can't do myself. Um, and about that time, I also started my YouTube channel. Cool. You want um, to plug that? Yeah, sure. Why not? Science Rap NZ. So W-R-A-P, like a burrito. So si- think of oh. like the science burrito show. Oh, cool. And then NZ because science rap was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that was kind of a fun side project to experiment mm-hmm. with YouTube. That was kind of... I think at the time was when YouTube was really building in popularity. Right. People were starting to get monetized. I think I thought, oh, maybe I can make a couple of bucks right. on the side uh-huh. of my uh, graduate, you know, stipend. Yeah. Um, but mostly it was to play around with video, mm-hmm. play around with taking a paper. And how do I talk about that to someone who doesn't know anything yeah. about that field? And I think a lot of the time I'd try and pick things that I didn't know about. So I forced myself to learn it first. Yeah. And then if I could understand it, then hopefully someone else could understand it. So you went like the the hardest route (laughs) possible. So I I also kind of, um, when I was in grad school, started something called, I think it was called super awesome science time or something like that that like, sounds fun yeah i would listen slash watch that yeah so it was uh it was a blog that was basically like here's a cool article here's why i think it's neat but it was all stuff that i was fairly familiar with okay so and that was hard so i can mm. only imagine how difficult um talking about something you know little about well, I have no feedback about how well that went. So maybe it was actually really poorly done. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, so that was happening. So after the um, PhD, I was actually fortunate enough to get a communications position at the university oh, cool. where I'd done my studies, um, which was really funny. I did not think I would get that job. Oh, yeah. um, it was one of those interviews you come out and you're just like, oh my gosh, you're like sweating. And you're like, that was that was torturous. But somehow they, they saw something in me. So and Were they like, wait, are you Miriam from Science Rap NZ? <laughs> oh Is my that- gosh, I wish. What did <laughs> Signing autographs in the interview. Yeah, like, no. Great videos. <laughs> no, totally nailed it. Uh, so how long, so was it like, a straight communications role or what? It, it? Yeah. So the way it worked at that university is they had communications advisors and they would roughly be split up uh, between the colleges of the okay. university. So I was college of science, okay. but sometimes I would do things that were more university wide, mm-hmm. but mostly it was new research that was coming out um, or events or grants okay. that people got. And that was great because they were very nice in letting me kind of shape my own path. So I worked a lot with the video production people there um, to do sort of, to experiment with kind of press release videos. This was also at the time where the New Zealand media scene was really starting to change for the first time. Uh, They were getting rid of community newspapers in print. Oh, really? um, And they were joining them or they were still existing but they were part of this bigger umbrella organization and most stuff would be online 
and online they would want video content right, or right. imagery to go along with the story. So it's kind of meeting that need, but also like, hey, this is something I really like at cool. the same time. Yeah, so that was really fun. If I can go on a slight tangent, my, go, fa- my favorite video it. that I did was um, the university had a wildlife hospital. Uh-huh. So they would get wild birds, um, sometimes like wild New Zealand reptiles. So we have a tuatara, which is the endemic reptile of New Zealand. Okay, It's actually a dinosaur. It's the only species of its genus left. Okay. Heard it here first, dinosaurs roaming New Zealand. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And they look like dinosaurs too. Oh, cool. They're like green, spiky little guys. Um, yeah, so they had one of those guys come into the hospital and he'd been there a few weeks and he was starting to recover and they were about to release him. So went in there and got to hold it. It's like really heavy and you have to hold it on your forearm oh, yeah. so that you support its tail and all this. And yeah, I love doing that video and I still sometimes watch that video. Really? <laughs> I do. I hate the sound of my own voice and <laughs> yeah. watching my own videos, but that one I will rewatch. Um, you will yeah. love listening to this podcast then. Oh my goodness. Only your voice. <laughs> Zero dinosaurs, all your voice. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how long it's going to take before I dare listen. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, okay. So you mm. did that and that was, was it like a full-time job? It was. Yeah. Okay. Full-time job. Contract or permanent? No, permanent. Wow. Yeah. So actually, when I went into it, I was like, yep, this is it. I'm set for life. This is my path. You know, I was planning on um, or thinking about how I was going to develop the role, make it more my own. What were the priorities of the university? I was really down that track. And then, of course, as life happens, someone throws a spanner in the works. And that spanner came from a colleague of one of my PhD supervisors okay. in Canada was looking for a postdoctoral fellow. Uh-huh. And oh, it was tempting. Another country, one-year contract. It was kind of like, well, I could try it out, mm-hmm. see how it goes. I can't remember what pushed me to the decision. Yeah. Um, but I think... I think it was partly like, oh, I want to give academia a go. Yeah. Which is funny because I sometimes think about that episode that you did a while ago talking about leaving academia and feeling like a failure. I don't think I felt like a failure in this communications role. Okay. But I definitely had that sense of like, I'm not living up to my potential, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which again is not true, but it's just something yeah. in the back of your mind that's there. So I think partly that also pushed me. Okay. Yeah. So then was the postdoc. Right. Yeah. In Canada. In Canada. Uh, so how long were you at that communications role before doing the postdoc? I think about 18 months. Oh, so still a while. Yeah. Close okay. to two years. Cool. Yeah. So that was a hard decision. Um, but... You know, the other thing is getting out of New Zealand. I was young. Yeah. See something different. Why not? Cool. So you uh, come to Canada, do your postdoc, mm. still with animal models, empathy, sheep. Yeah, that still with animal world. models. This time cows. Okay. I, I upsized <laughs> from sheep to cows. And again, it was funny. I was like, mm. I'd never worked with sheep actually before. That's something to note. I'd never worked with sheep before I started my uh, PhD never okay. worked with cows until I started my postdoc. So there you go, steep learning curve each time. 
Um, yeah, and this one was looking at how cows behave when they go into heat. So okay. again, not a long background. Canada has um, tie stall as a system uh, for right. housing dairy cows. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Basically, the cows are kept inside um, mm-hmm. and they're tethered into their stall for okay. most of the day. Um, and they're milked in their stall, they eat in their stall, everything. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, because they're not roaming around, it's hard to get a sense of when to breed them. Mm. And they need to be bred so that they have a calf, so that they produce milk. Right. Um, so they wanted to use, of all things, motion capture technology. Okay. Yeah, so this is, it ties in well, because I always think, ah, I was born for this. New Zealand, Lord of the Rings, oh, yeah, but now on true. cows. <laughs> so, Maybe yeah. Peter Jackson will be listening to this, and he'll be like, geez, we need some really quality cow mocap. It hit me up, Peter Jackson, if you happen to be listening to this and you need cow mocap, I'm your girl. Um yeah, so we actually use the same technology as they use in the movies, which okay. is really cool. It, is it? Uh, did you use an OptiTrack system? Do you, do you remember the brand? Yeah, it was not. It was Vicon. It was the competitor of OptiTrack, oh. but we looked into OptiTrack. <laughs> Can't remember why we went with Vicon. Okay. Some reason. Whatever. Reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, mocap them found that they kind of wiggle from side to huh. side. They do this funny little like twerking motion. That's I like so to call funny. it. Um, when they go into heat and yeah it was a one-year postdoc mm-hmm. and that included getting the equipment and like setting it up set, learning how to use it oh, setting it up um doing the experiment analyzing the data and publishing the paper in a year in a year with teaching for with teaching with teaching <laughs> for those who are not academics listening to this that is a ridiculous schedule. Okay. Like, I don't that even, makes me feel better. Yeah, Thank I don't you. even know how you do that. Like r- doing research takes almost a year. Setting up takes half a year. Mm. Teaching takes up hours. Yeah. Now, how did you, but you managed. I, I managed. I had good support. I got some lovely volunteer oh, yeah. uh, undergrads. Thank you, undergrads. <laughs> <laughs> We're listening. <laughs> You're invaluable. Yeah. Um, yeah, luckily I had a project that I could kind of sell really well, mm-hmm. and pizza always helps. Always. Free food, people are there. Yeah. So you finish your postdoc, mm. and then then what? Yeah, so the postdoc, I'm, I'm going to be very honest right now. Oh. <laughs> You're like, another thing about Canada. <laughs> no, 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 not about Canada, um, uh, that I learned about myself. Oh. It, one year was very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, about three quarters of the way through, I think I had a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> it was um, it was a lot. Um, the The data collection was kind of wrapped up, but there was a lot of data. I didn't know how to analyze it. Yeah. At the same time, you're getting to that mark where you're like, "Ooh, what am I going to do next?" Uh-huh. Right. Kind of right, looking right. for what is the next step. Um, and I guess that kind of was a turning point in that it made me reevaluate what part of the science world I like the most. Huh. And I realized I, you know, I don't mind the data collection. I like that side of it, but my favorite part was always writing it all up at the end okay. and then going to conferences and talking about it. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, 
I guess it wasn't like a light bulb went off and I was like, hey, I'm going to do the writing side of yeah. it. But it's one of those things that like adds up mm-hmm. over time. Um, so when the, the postdoc was over, I went back to New Zealand, um, went back to visit my family um, and started talking to people. And the editor of the New Zealand Veterinary Association magazine was in the town that my parents live in. And this, we caught up for coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is circa, like, when? How is this? Yeah, like, last circa year? 2017. Okay. Yeah. So actually very recent. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so you yeah. would have, you were, you were doing your postdoc between, mm. like, 2016, 2017? Yeah. So okay. March 2016 to March 2017. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And um, the editor of the VetScript magazine, it's called, she was like, hey, you know, I would love someone with a science background to mm. write some of our articles, especially the ones that are kind of trickier. Would you want to do that? And I'm like, hey, that sounds really cool. At the time, I was kind of hanging around New Zealand planning my next move. So I'm right. like, well, this gives me a good chance to try something out. Loved that. It was good. It was, yeah, it was a yeah. lot of fun. The first story I ever wrote was about flat-faced dog and cat breeds. Um, so they're called brachycephalics, so like pugs, okay. Frenchies, those cats with the little floppy right. ears, mm-hmm. um, and the health problems that they have. But then also, why do we love them so much? Mm-hmm. Celebrities, social media, right, advertising. Right. Yeah, super interesting. Um, Maybe we'll post a link on, on the Twitter. If people Are those articles available? I think that one is, yeah, okay. because that one ended up, getting picked up and like so veterinary magazine vet script is designed right. pretty much just for veterinarians or allied professions okay. it's not like a magazine you would go and pick up at well Indigo. i mean speak for yourself but. <laughs> you're you're, a, you're a, um an avid vet script reader love vet script <laughs> yeah <laughs> plug vet script <laughs> is yeah. this episode sponsored by vet script <laughs> I, we should ask them yeah yeah hashtag not sponsored could you imagine that would be so funny <laughs> okay yeah um and yeah how am i this is one of those weird things where you look back and you're like how did that happen yeah and it's weird piecing it all together. But I then decided to come to Toronto. Okay. So personal life now. Uh-huh. I'd met someone in Ooh. Edmonton. They were very nice. Um, uh, he was moving to Toronto for mm. work. And I was like, well, let me give this a go. The, it turns mm-hmm. out that the working holiday visa that I was going to go on is for one year. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself a year to try this. Mm-hmm. Toronto is a hub for uh, journalism in, mm-hmm. in Canada. People would probably hate for me to say that because I, they're like, Toronto thinks it's the center of the I, universe. <laughs> I'm not from Toronto and it's like every, but we're obviously we're in Toronto right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I dislike just constantly talking about Toronto because, you know, a lot of people are probably in Toronto listening to this, mm-hmm. but then like you're saying, there's people who aren't, and they're like, oh, there they go again <laughs> with, like, Toronto's the hub of this or that. But Yeah. And, yes. well, I guess, spoiler alert, in hindsight, I realized Toronto is not the key to journalism success. Oh. So uh, there is the uh, first Miriam tidbit. Pro yeah, pro tip. <laughs> yeah. It helps, but it's not everything. Okay. So there you go. Um, yeah, so I gave myself that one year. Mm-hmm. Started working away at 
freelancing, trying to write for different places, right. continuing to write for VetScript magazine. Love VetScript. Yes. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm, I'm like, as much as we're joking about it, I would credit my start slash the support that I got from my editor That's there so cool. as really important. Are you still writing for VetScript? I still write for them. Yeah. Yeah. Very and actually, nice. my editor there encouraged me to apply for a journalism award in New Zealand, Whoa. which I ended that, up winning. Yeah, I saw yes. that. Congrats. That was Thank so cool. You. Yeah. It was um, Best Junior Feature Writer. So, That's so cool. journalists who are in their first two years of writing. Yeah. And funnily enough, it all fits together. The flat faced story, the very first story I wrote, uh-huh. was the one that won. Huh. Yeah. So you just set the bar really high for yourself. I did. You know what? The the, um, amount of imposter syndrome I had after that point was insane. You're like, geez, not only that I've got imposter syndrome with having a PhD, I don't know, I'll win an award on my first piece and kind of see what happens after that. This sounds horrible. It sounds like, oh my gosh, I'm complaining. Life is so hard. (laughs) So if somebody's listening to this Mm. and up to this point, they're like, I totally identify with with her story, um, except maybe for the award part, because only one person can win it, and you won it. Um, and they're like, "But I don't write for VetScript. Mm. How how can I get in on on what you think is a great experience? How did they do that? Like, how did you how would you get started with an industry publication like that? Mm. Um, I think you have to start so. I guess I'll be talking about writing specifically. Okay. Okay. Um, Start writing. Mm. You need to have some kind of body of work that's separate from your academic writing. Mm -hmm. So I already had journal publications. Um, A blog, I think, is still a good place to start. Are blogs still a thing? I don't know if blogs are still a thing for... I don't know if they get the same readership oh. as they as they used to. I have no <laughs> statistics to yeah. back that up. It's just, but probably not. <laughs> but yeah, um, but it's a good like training ground yeah. slash personal place to mm-hmm. just have something to show someone. You know. Right. right. Um, also, one of the first stories I did was for the conversation. Right. Yeah. And that is a really good place, especially if you're coming from academia. They yeah. want people in whatever field to Mm -hmm. write about their field or write about something that's happening in the news and explain it from your angle, like a science angle. Um, And they are great because once your piece is published, other newspapers can syndicate that work. So one of my story, the only story that I've written for the conversation (laughs) ended up getting picked up by New York magazine. No way. (laughs) Yes. Like, who are you though? (laughs) I know. It's like very lucky. (laughs) I feel like what I am. Um, But after that point, I could be like, I've written for New York magazine. I don't know if that's kosher. I don't know if I should advocate for that, but I mean, it was published on their website. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't get paid for the conversation. Um, but it's again, something to have online. So I think if you are in graduate school or maybe even in undergrad, now is a good time to do Mm -hmm. that because a blog and the conversation, you're not getting any financial gain from that. 
Um, but you have your body of work. Once yeah. you have your body of work, start thinking about what kind of stories you want to write about. Mm. So I say <laughs> science journalism. I'm still figuring out exactly what that is because okay. I do tech. I do a little bit of health. I do science and society. I, I guess that's like so that all those topics is exactly what the value of a scientific background is because like you're good at explaining complicated stuff in a way that people will understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And ultimately tech is just really complicated stuff and you find ways to explain it, I guess. Is yeah. That where it's, it it's funny. And I sometimes think about like, what is the difference between science communication and science journalism? Yeah. And kind of how I think, think about it at least how i formed it in my mind and this is by no means a formal definition <laughs> um it's by uh, what, what's the award that you got the the new zealand number one oh um, yeah <laughs> yeah this is right. an official uh framework right yeah oh gosh um yeah that science communication is a little bit more of that explaining science side of things where I feel like journalism is like, how does this relate to your life or how does this fit into your everyday life? Be that um, your understanding of an area or the decisions that you make. So you see them. I always conceptualized it as science communications, kind of like an umbrella term. And under that would be science journalism, but mm. you see it as like kind of one relates to the people and the other is more communicating for a scientific audience, science communication mm. more for a scientific audience. I don't No, I think science communication is for the people right. as well. Yeah. It's so blurred. Actually, I yeah. like your umbrella thing. Oh, I've never thought you. of it like that before. But actually, yeah, that's probably yeah. like a good a good way to conceptualize it. Because then you also have... I used to work in knowledge mobilization. Mm. And knowledge mobilization has a science communication component. And then in science communication, you'd have science journalism. Gotcha. But I guess science communication, you'd also have like events and like... Mm. I don't know, whatever else there is, like videos and whatever. Yeah. I think also it's becoming more difficult to even define what journalism is. So Uh, maybe there's actually even no such thing as journalism as its own, like science journalism as its own thing. Journalism is dead. You heard it here first. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm the journalist. Aren't I the one supposed to be like spinning your words, as they say? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, journalism used to be print newspaper right. was predominant. And since we've moved more online mm-hmm. and that now encompasses video and, you know, conversations and the comments and social media that goes along with a particular outlet, those things are just becoming right. so interchangeable. So, yeah. Words are useless. Um, <laughs> I disagree. Burn your dictionaries. I, <laughs> I disagree with that. That's something I'm like... I'm learning as I go along is how powerful words are oh, and yeah. how much I need to think about what I write and right. how it, changing a single word changes how someone reads that sentence. Even, huh. you know, I'm trying to find other ways of saying said doctor right. so-and-so. 
and even changing that to argued or um, reasoned, you right. know, has a totally puts a totally different connotation. Yeah. So, I think words are powerful. <laughs> <laughs> the pen is mightier than the sword. Heard it here first. <laughs> pen mightier than the sword. <laughs> that I'm okay putting my name next to. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you? Um, this is like not related to how you you got your where you are, but when you write about articles, do you say um, this scientist, the, when you present results from articles, do you say these results suggest, or do you say they found whatever? Like how kind of? Yeah, I guess that's where the science training comes in. Mm. I still, if I'm talking I'll usually have a paragraph that explains like the result. If I'm writing about a piece of research, say I'll have a paragraph that talks about the results and then I'll say the study found because it's right there. That's what they found. Yeah. But then when it comes to the interpretation, Mm -hmm. I'll use the, the scientists words, their own words or their words that they use from the paper. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say these findings suggest or imply or the authors think this means yeah. so-and-so. Um, yeah. It, that's something I spent a lot of, probably a lot more time thinking about than mm. I should, but like this idea that science is, is portrayed as, as something that is like true. Mm. And unless you've done years of science and you get how uh, subjective it is, then you would see a result and be like, oh, but they found this. Like, why are eggs good one one week and bad the other? <laughs> yes. You know, like that whole thing? Yeah. And it's like, of course, unless you understand that there are no absolute truths and that's the whole point of science, mm-hmm. um, it would be confusing. But like, as a journalist, how, I guess, how do you convey the whole scientific enterprise that is behind that result Mm. without losing your audience but Mm. also without um over representing what you're talking about yeah that's a really good question and i think when i started writing one of my motivations as well was i think science journalism as a whole could be done better and again maybe that's probably kind of arrogant coming in like i'm the one to do it but (laughs) i had a lot to learn on the journalism side i'll tell you that um but yeah conveying uncertainty Mm -hmm. and conveying the scientific process is difficult so partly for me because i freelance it comes down to the type of stories that i choose to pitch and choose to write so i make a conscious decision not to write about things that tend to flip-flop. So I won't okay. or appear to flip-flop. Yeah. I won't do a story about chocolate is good for you. Right. Or I won't do a story about red wine makes you live to 100, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, because I think it's not helpful mm-hmm. for the reasons you say. Um, then when it comes to those kind of bits of research that are – well, all research, part of the bigger picture and our understanding of that field right now. I think it's about the context. Mm -hmm. um, And I think it's about saying where 
it could go. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a concrete example right now because it's all very kind of, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, ethereal right now. Um, okay, I did my first weed story oh, the other day. Uh, you'll get <laughs> so, banned from the States. <laughs> uh, yeah, and some, yeah. And it was about uh, the press release that got, came to me actually was like mice getting high yeah. on worms or something like that. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'm reading. You got me. Yeah. Um, and it was about like gut parasites producing endocannabinoids, okay. which produce a localized high oh, is what the oh, okay. uh, authors described it as. So the mice weren't actually like euphoric or right. getting the munchies or anything like that. Um, but the whole point of the research was to find treatments for irritable bowel uh, syndrome or like inflammatory diseases and finding a way to kind of like suppress the inflammation that happens there. Um, And so using worms like parasites, well, they found, yeah. So they want to figure out the mechanism that the parasites are using to make that molecule and then replicate that in some kind of like pharmaceutical drug that people could could take yeah yeah without having the (laughs) the parasites yeah for one or the or or like uh taking edibles or or smoking weed right yeah because canada that's gonna be okay what in a week october 1st Uh, is october 17th 17th okay but a lot of other places it's not Mm -hmm. okay yet um Yeah, but yeah, putting putting it in context, and um, I think once again, and this is why I'm like words are powerful. Yeah. I never use the word prove. Right. Um, I yeah, that's one of those funny things. Science never proves anything. Yeah. It only disproves. Yes. The null hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> that's so important. It's such an important, subtle, seemingly subtle distinction, but yeah, so essential to understand like the whole thing of science absolutely yeah and so having that in the back of my mind i think is 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 really helpful Mm -hmm. when i'm writing and um and sometimes actually just being very clear about it so some of the writing i do is script writing um for like science shows and i often find myself writing scientists are unsure at the moment why this is or how this fits with something but i think even having a sentence like that just conveys that science Mm. is as much a process as it is about the results yeah Yeah, that's that's actually important like not to put you up on a pedestal more than like (laughs) i've already done you're so kind (laughs) thank you (laughs) um but sort of knocking down science and making it more transparent and mm-hmm. and showing that there's so much uncertainty and that's kind of the whole point of science is that uncertainty mm-hmm. i think is so important yeah and congrats for for like just putting in those couple words to, to <laughs> knock us down a few pegs i hope i hope that it kind of unconsciously does something yeah. but yeah. i think actually there's a real place for uh scientists so maybe there are graduate students who are listening to this and they're Mm. like, Oh, that's kind of interesting, but you know, not for me, people actually doing science, talking about how they're doing Mm -hmm. science, um, on social media, in blogs, in 
you know, there are a couple of online, uh, the conversation, say, about the process of science. I think that's really important for the general public to kind of know that. That's something that I think um, we usually, as scientists, don't don't put enough... put enough emphasis on is mm. is the is the whole process and like kind of going from the the body of research what we know and in that there's like there's a certain curiosity and a certain mm. excitement that i think is is fun as scientists it's like ooh i wonder like i'm going to test something mm-hmm. and there's a i i bet i bet that if i do this thing i'm going to find this answer and I'll be the first person ever mm-hmm. to know this answer. And there's like, there's really a certain excitement and curiosity mm. that we take for granted and unfortunately don't bring people in on non-scientists. Mm. That is a really interesting way to engage people. And then the whole process of doing science, like I did a lot of perceptual research, mm. so like multi-sensory um, research. Cool. And the whole point of my research was to mess you up. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! Now I want to ask you about your research. <laughs> this is going to be like a two-hour-long yeah, podcast, a, a right huge now. bonanza. <laughs> um, but basically, it's like you present um, a sound, and then you would see something that's slightly different, and then the way your brain combines it mm. makes you perceive something that was neither actually presented visually or uh, through auditory. So it's like this, Whoa. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, right? And like, but the thing is, we have these these methodologies that are like super dry, but they're really cool. And it's like, that is a way to get people into science that mm. might not care about, I don't know, the, that there's audiovisual interference when you have reverse speech. Mm-hmm. Like, who cares about that? What I want to know is like, what happens to the brain when blah, blah, blah. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. And I think that because I'm going to go on a little rant. No, please. That as scientists, we often, because we spend so much time on the scientific process Mm -hmm. and we're so jazzed to have results that it's like, here's the thing that I found. Look at it. Let's share that. That we forget that the whole process, the thing that we dedicate years of our lives to, mm-hmm. is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And if I'm willing to spend years of my life looking at this thing, I can probably, I've said this many times, I hope, if you've heard this podcast, sorry for repeating myself, <laughs> but like, if I'm going to spend a couple years of my life looking at this thing, mm-hmm. I'm sure that I can make it interesting for somebody so that for five minutes, they'll be like, whoa, neat. And then go on their day. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, as scientists and as communicators and whatever, we don't put enough uh, stock in that side. And by, like, that's the part that's going to interest people who watch Star Trek, people who just like watching planet Earth. You know, like people mm-hmm. who don't think they're scientists, but like to see cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I hope somebody's listening to this and they're like, wow, that's never thought of that way. I'm going to do a science communication product mm-hmm. that pushes kind of the 
the it's actually there's a name for it it's called ignorance mobilization ignorance mobilization yeah. it sounds like an oxymoron almost like something yeah. very like negative and something very positive at the same yeah. time because it's like you you share the the thing about science that mm. like we don't know like that's fun there's that question that that wonder and curiosity yeah so. i it, it sounds super cheesy but i kind of hope that we're all scientists, that way of thinking. I love that you use the words curiosity and wonder mm. because that was the whole reason I wanted to do science cool. in the first place. And a lot of my stories now are driven by me in the shower being like, huh, I wonder why yeah. this is. And instead of now, instead of doing an experiment about it, I will go and find people who are answering mm -hmm. those questions. And like you say, showing the process, I think is really important to foster a scientific mm -hmm. way of thinking, mm -hmm. which sounds really like, that's not meant to sound scary. It's just a uh, thinking critically about yeah. the world, being curious about the world, um, talking to other people who are more knowledgeable than you, like yeah. learning from each other. I think these are all like science things yeah. that are super relevant in everyone's lives. I mean, I'm not going to go <laughs> very political, but um, I, I feel like society needs to evaluate things critically, For sure. whether that be governments or you know, what brand of milk you're buying at the supermarket. Yeah. It's such a, it runs the full gamba, right? Um, so I think by showing the process, you're hopefully encouraging a little bit of that yeah. in people. I don't know. And maybe, the, so like there's kind of a, I don't know if it's still happening, but design thinking was kind of a mm. big thing a while, I don't know, like a few years ago. Don't know if it's still hot. Um, but this idea that you create something and then give it to people, see how they interact with it, and then you take that feedback mm. and kind of redesign your product. Um, and the scientific method, this process, for whatever reason, is just not sexy. Mm. And like maybe it's because of science class and kind of like traditional nerd association mm. with science, but for whatever reason, like scientific process is really helpful for what you're saying like interacting with your world but people are kind of they think they can't like they can't think like a scientist hmm. because they had a tough time in 10th grade science class yeah when does that happen right because like kids i uh, feel like are so naturally yeah. curious you think about like as soon as kids start to talk they're asking questions yeah. probably to the annoyance of everyone <laughs> around them with the constant question mm. asking but like when does when does that stop? And There's definitely research about that. Oh, okay. There you go. For yeah. sure. So yeah. if you're a researcher on that topic, uh, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I had this idea. So we're, we're unfortunately about uh, out of time, but I had oh this idea. Gosh. I know, right? It goes by so fast. <laughs> yeah. um, that I, you are the first person I share this idea with. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about being in the shower and having an idea and then you kind of go talk to an expert mm. and sort of presumably write an article or, or whatever. Do you think it would be interesting, like just to watch if there was some sort of like, so we would both be sitting at computers and behind us would be like projection mirrors of our screen. Mm. And then there'd be an audience and someone in the audience would be like, 
why I don't know why do whatever mm-hmm. and then we would like each go this sounds so nerdy <laughs> but we would like go on Google Scholar and try to find articles translate that like normal human question into a mm. scientific sort of the words yeah find the articles and then like synthesize a quick scientifically valid answer to something we know nothing about this is cool is it, and is it like a, is it like a battle like yeah like yeah. a time they exactly. went under a time crunch exactly. and we're like in the exactly. matrix kind of thing yeah exactly and then like maybe you could have like a team where like someone would be drying stuff you know you could have like different communication mm. products i think that would be like a fun kind of little that does battle. that does sound fun. I'm probably a bad person to gauge this on because I, as well, am super nerdy, and that would yeah. appeal to my nerdy sensibilities. But um, yeah, it kind of combines all that, eh? The yeah. the process and the the end product and everything. Yeah. And just have like you could have that with um, with kids and or whether it's it's like adults or kids, but just kind of why I don't know mm. whatever question like why is my hair. Um, red but my beard is brown or vice mm. versa or whatever and then we'd be like oh i don't know what are the words and then somebody be drawing stuff and like yeah yeah so very cool maybe we'll do that yeah let's let's do it let's do it do we have time can i am i allowed to give some quick yes, quick tips go for it um yeah, so if anyone is interested in science writing science journalism i think i mentioned get started get some writing um i'm a freelancer I don't work for one specific publication. We talked about this a little bit before we started Mm -hmm. recording. Realistically, I don't know that there's that many full-time science journalism Mm -hmm. for a paper or online outlet at the moment. Um, So start coming up with story ideas. Start pitching editors. You can find the editor's details on the masthead of a web page. And... uh, yeah, see how your ideas go. I learned completely through trial and error and um, the, the, the learning process that comes with that. Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know if that's tips. That's very Any other succinct. Um, what have I got here? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> Practice doing it. Be curious. Read and listen. Um, yeah, pitches could spend 15 minutes talking about pitches but there's online resources Mm -hmm. google how to write a good pitch (laughs) yeah like there's the journalistic pitch you mean yeah yeah um you want to get your idea across Mm -hmm. you want to say why it's important you want to say who you're going to talk to Mm -hmm. that's really that's really important and yeah i mean i don't know not that I'm saying that I'm the expert on this, <laughs> but I'm doing. I'm I'm obviously doing something that works yeah. at least for me. Yeah, so if someone does have questions, feel free to 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 Google my name. I'm. That's a good thing about having an unusual name. Yeah. Just Google it, and I'll 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 be there. Send or, me a message. Or just Science Rap NZ. Science Rap NZ. Yeah, Merjam Guskin. Um, yeah. Hit cool. me up. <laughs> Any parting words? Any uh, last bit of advice that you want to put out there in the on the internet? <sighs> um, oh, this is this is very this is tough. One final thing. I don't know. I like I like where we got to at the end. Stay curious. Cool. Ask questions. Be critical. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, Miriam, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed um, being on the podcast. Yeah, and it went so fast. <laughs> it, it really does. So it fast. really does. So um, if you have any questions for Miriam, um, feel free to reach out to her. And um, you can always send out a tweet at D-Y-E-S underscore podcast. And next week or in two weeks, uh, we honestly, I'm not sure, but we will be talking about science. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>